now I want you to tell me everything you know about Italian food. And don't forget the name of the chef who fixed it for me. Nobody sent me. I do business for myself. So this, this is something personal, is it? What filthy piece of shit did I do now? You killed my brother. You want to join him? No. It's always the same thing. It's when you start to become really afraid of death that you learn to appreciate life. Do you like life, sweetheart? pleasure in taking a life if it's from a person who doesn't care about it. Hello folks. Uh, welcome to Civi Podcast. Uh, that was awful chipper of me right there. I got a nice, uh, I don't know what you call it in my voice tonight. I feel, I feel good tonight, guys. But uh, welcome to the show. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill. And uh, with me tonight is Suzanne. Greetings from cold ass Illinois. Oh, we've been spoiled, babe. You know this. It's, it's uh, <laughs> I don't want to oh, talk about the weather, but but the fact that I haven't heard the words polar vortex yet makes uh makes my cockles uh, feel real fine. In that yeah, sense. knock on wood. <laughs> it's almost February. I feel excited. I, I don't really take my spirit away, but um, yeah, you guys can keep that stuff up north and over east and. I heard they had snow in Vegas, for Christ's sake. I was like, wow. that's uh, We live in a topsy-turvy world, man. I don't want to sound sensitive or anything, but when the polar ice caps melt, I'll be long dead. You know, And I've, I've seen I've seen the future generation, and they don't look too bright in, in illumination or smarts. So let them, let them all drown. <laughs> I'm starting this show off right, ain't I? Uh, also with us tonight... Is, is our partner on the Burning for Springwood podcast, and he does he does some other shows too, which I will let him mention. Uh, Mike Merriman is in the house. How you doing, sir? What's up, Gary? Hello, Suzanne. It's it's great to be back on Cinema Beef. It feels like it's been way too long. It's good to have you, Mike. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'll kick this off like we always kick this off, and I'll ask Mike, the guest, what he's been watching lately. Well, um, I have been watching Tales from the Dark Side. <laughs> Why? <laughs> now you've already you've, you've already watched those once, you know, for evil episodes. I remember, I remember this. Why would you rewatch the whole series? Or you just watch your select episodes? Well, see, here's the thing. I work from home, and sometimes you want, you know, you're not feeling the music. You don't really want to put on a movie that you have to pay full attention to. So I kind of look for something I can play in the background and, you know, it'll catch my attention every once in a while. And the Tales from the Dark Side shows 
something I've seen throughout the years plenty enough times to where most episodes, you know, you can recognize them within 30 seconds of what it is and what's going to happen. And you don't have to be focused on the TV 100% of the time. So it just kind of works well with uh, background noise while you're working. Um, so, you know, so, stuff like that, Monsters, which is like the unofficial continuation of Tales from the Dark Side, really. Uh, I spent like way that. too much on that one. <laughs> oh, I yeah. pre-ordered that several years ago. You got really excited about that box set that kind of sucks. It, 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 they're, they're okay. It, it but... doesn't suck. <laughs> it re- no, don't. Seriously, I spent way too much money on it. I don't want to hear anything. There's like, like Tales of the Dark Side. I think there's more t- good, more better, t- more better, more better. That's great <laughs> English, but um, <laughs> I think there's more. There's better content. I almost said more better again. Better content within Tales from the Dark Side. There was monsters, but like I said, it's like secondary monsters. I mean, secondary Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. About. I also watched some vampire movies lately because uh, I was on Bo's first. He started a new Legion series of video podcast, and the first one was. Uh, compiling a top 20 vampire movies list. Nice. So, obviously, I didn't rewatch like every single movie, but there's just a few that, like, I was like, should I suggest this one? So, I rewatched a couple, and uh, yeah, that show was really fun. Uh, did, did anybody put Twins of Evil really high on there? Because it should have been, I think, in my opinion. It's just, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the Karenstein twins alone in that movie with their, uh, they're ample uh, bosoms. Thanks, Naya. Take the words out of my mouth, Naya. Beautiful. Uh, are worth the worth to watch alone, you know. Vampire Circus made it not as high in the list as I would have put it, but hey, you know, you got to get it in where it fits in, I, I guess. <laughs> I, You know, a lot of people give that movie shit. I've always really enjoyed it. I think it's a fun watch. It's just everything it going it's, on in it and the carnival setting I love. The traveling carny, carnies, I guess you would call them. <laughs> yeah, I've got to ask, where was Vampire Lesbos in the list? Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. That sexy Jess Franco vampire films, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, thought... Wait, Hubs and I caught that on something. I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. And Pat like grabs the remote out of my hand. He's like, no, we're watching this. Yes, it's Vampires Lesbos. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> they're gonna yes. start making out or something. Come on. Shoot. Um, and other than that, mostly just the stuff we've been covering on Fresh Cuts. We're finally starting to get some. 2021's in uh, we watched a movie called Bloody Hell which was pretty fun and then we recently just did 10 Minutes to Midnight with Caroline Williams so yeah. I watched that too yeah <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll discuss it right now since we're talking about it um, it's not very good to me I don't know what it is it's, it's only 70 minutes long and you, you get you get into it and you, you, you expect this film about, you know, what they promised, like this, this, this woman, Caroline Williams, who's a, a radio DJ. That's a big, that's a big, uh, stretch for her. No, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I mean, who, who gets bit by a bat, at you know, in, in the cold open, which you don't see, but she gets bit by a bat. Supposedly she has rabies or some kind of vampirism, but it's not explored in a film about a woman who may have, who may have vampirism. 
he just kind of bites somebody and like it's it's kind of the girl turns kind of ghoulish in a way and then it turns into kind of like this you know like those hour-long twilight zones how they feel so long we we, we watched freddy's nightmares obviously they'll feel, feel real long too sometimes it just felt like a really like overbloated overblown overcooked sausage of a twilight zone episode that that needed to be restructured completely because it felt like a film that didn't know what it wanted to be in my opinion and i it was 70 minutes long and it felt like two and a half hours mm-hmm. i don't know what it is <laughs> there was definitely a weirdness to it especially about what, halfway through when there's a there's a flip in everything that's going on and you're like what the hell is this um i i feel like you know it was a big allegory for basically getting older and kind of getting pushed out of your role in life and having to like come to the acceptance of it um but you know it it was all right it's definitely nothing that's gonna probably be tolling around on a top list at the end of the year but i thought it was okay it it, she looks she looks like she had some surgery done and you know unfortunately i i I, I don't know and that's not even like i'm not even trying to shame her or anything because she's kind of a mean person too if you ever meet her before so it's like you know at the same time, I don't care that I'm kind of shaming her. So it's like, you know what? It, it I know, is, she was it really nice to me. She asked, I was stand, I was talking to somebody, I was a few feet away from her table, but there was no one around to take pictures, and she was actually really nice to me. Eh, I, I had some moments that rubbed me the wrong way, and I'm sure that experience is not shared with everybody, but yeah, it, it is what it is. But um, uh, fuck you slightly, Caroline Williams, put it that way. You, you could be nice <laughs> otherwise. It's the Daniel Harris effect that Jamie has. She she was always nice to me. Let's put it that way, you know. <laughs> um, Suzanne, what you been watching, girl? Oh God, well I think it was year before last, and I almost blind bought Exorcism at twenty thousand feet. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, is this yes. the TV the TV movie or is this like the new new movie? The new new movie. The okay. oh my God. I'm so glad I didn't blind buy it. It was one of the few movies I got about halfway through, and I'm like, okay, I can feel my IQ dropping. I'm just going to stop here. But I'm just, I don't know. I've not, I've had such a hard time watching movies lately. I have no attention span, so I've been binge-watching TV shows. I have been binge-watching Hill Street Blues. Apparently, I'm into cop shows. Um, NYPD Blue, I've been kind of, bouncing around there i watched the night stalker documentary that was on netflix and i watched a really interesting one yesterday called the confession killer about the basically the fraud that was henry lee lucas really fucked up shit they said it's been binge watching tv shows and anything crime related and been watching a shit ton of remakes because everybody on the nfw hates me (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they kind of do hate me well they, they they made you watch the fucking uh what was it um oh the damn fog remake i wasn't there for that but you know oh i could tell you exactly what happened <laughs> i girl, you know that, that, i did that, not even that girl got ghost aids at the end of that movie is all i'll say about that movie okay <laughs> yeah. no that ended up being literally I didn't, I have not complained. I've complained some, but I still sometimes try to give them a chance, even though they really don't deserve one. But the Fog remake is 
quite possibly the worst movie I have ever seen in my entire life. And I think I said that about 200 times when we watched that movie. It's not good. I could, I could not stop bitching. I fucking broke Nudie. That's why we ended up doing the OG, The Fog, just basically so there would be a week where I was not complaining. Yeah, there's, 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 uh, they tried to make a starring vehicle for, for Tom Welling, who, because Smallville was hot at the time. So I see what they did there. It was just poorly executed. It just, it just wasn't very good. No, it's, the movie is absolute fucking garbage. I mean, seriously, if, the, if the, what they need to do is take every copy of it that exists and set them all the fuck on fire. I used to own one, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe that's what caused the house fire. <laughs> What's the fog? Oh maybe? my god! DVD. <laughs> oh, the the film I was talking about, Suzanne, is the horror at thirty seven thousand feet, which is a TV movie from nineteen seventy three. Which are you ready for this cast? It's it's, it's actually pretty cheesy, and pretty fun. Chuck Connors, Buddy Ebsen, uh, Lynn Loring, William Shatner, Paul Winfield, Russell Johnson. It, it's uh. It's basically think, about. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry, but. Oh no, I think I remember seeing it. It's about like some kind of like tomb that's on board the plane that like makes some kind of spirit come out. I forget what it is, but it ends with William Shatner falling hilariously out of an airplane, and <laughs> it's really terrible TV 70s TV movie effects. But uh, if you can find it, it's an hour and 13 minutes long. It might even be on Prime somewhere or on definitely on YouTube. It's a uh, the film I reviewed once for one of those failed 31 days of Halloween projects that I tried to do. And, um, it's, it's stupid TV fun. So check that movie out. The horror at 37,000 feet. Oh my gosh. Anything else, Suzanne? I'm sorry. Oh no. And, uh, let's see. Uh, started watching some of the absolutely horrifically chopped up episodes of Saturday night live that I was so looking forward to seeing in their entirety. It's like select okay, segments. And- and they cut the musical guests. I, th- I, I remember. Missed, I, I tell you, it was going to be a thing. I think that was going to be a thing. Yeah. But they cut Santana, the Power Station, the Stray Cats. I mean, I've okay. NBC, you own these. Put them up someplace where some people like me would like to go watch them in their entirety. Cut this bullshit off. Suzanne wants to hear some like it hot really bad, so you better get that shit back on the NBC. Because, you know, it's, power it's, po- power station. Come on, y'all. Oh, come on. I was... Duran I, Duran. <laughs> it was part of Duran Duran and Robert... Robert... What's his fucking... Robert Palmer. Come on. It was like a, like a super group or something. I, I've heard of the band, and I've heard the song. I just, you know... Well, Duran Duran split into two factions. Power station and Arcadia. Hmm. Power station... Yeah, there was, oh my God, so many great musical guests that they cut. And I had one episode, halfway through a skit, it just stopped. Oh. That was the end. Yeah, they're, they're, they're botched. They, well, I, NBC I, I, seriously I, needs to give it the fuck up. I love the Peacock app, and I'm sure they're working the kinks out because they have a lot more uh, content that's coming. So I hope they, they work out those kinks in the app. Yeah, it's it's barely functional on... 
Right. <laughs> it a, just has a. What a great selling point! It's barely functional. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of content out there though, Mike. So I, I gotta love it for yeah. that. Yeah. What's the fee for Peacock? Five five dollars with ads, ten dollars without ads. Okay. Yeah. But are they are they making exclusive stuff for? It? Is it mostly to have access to like all the archives of the network? They have exclusive shows on there besides the Saved by the Bell one, obviously, but um, mm. which I did, which I didn't hate. You know, it, it got it got better as it progressed. But um, Naya, Naya the dog. Naya oh shit! I thought I. That's okay. I, I, I remember growing up watching SNL reruns on Comedy Central, but it, they would always cut them down to like hour-long episodes. So there was obviously like skits that were cut out because they would have the musical guests at least. I don't remember if they had would have both songs they did, but I know at least one. Yeah, they. This it's just pathetic. I, that was one of the things I liked about, especially the shows in the '80s and the '70s. They had some spectacular musical guests on. Well, you know what? You know what's not going to be on there? The Fear episode. uh, Well, the Fear performance will not be on there. I know, and that pisses me off. You could actually, it's on um, fucking YouTube, but it's in such such quality. The story about the Fear, the Lee Ving band, uh, they made the Fear (laughs) on SNL, and were they friends of John Belushi? That was the story? Oh, it it was... It's his. It was his favorite band, and he said, "All the only way I'm hosting the show is if I can have if Fear is the band that plays." And they uh they made appearances. Put it that way. Look look it up, guys. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh God, the moshing was fucking epic. And uh, that didn't uh that didn't um please Lord Michaels all that much. The 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 mess they made. <laughs> you know? Oh, it was uh oh it was a shit show. Um, what did I watch? Um. I watched a few things that are relevant. The one I mentioned before we talked about, um, about ten minutes to midnight, not recommended by me, maybe recommended by some. But go mm-hmm. go check it out. It's seventy minutes. I think it's a four dollar rental on Amazon. So all, all you can lose is seventy minutes of your life, which you know nowadays. Is and it became. Kind of a, <laughs> I was gonna say it became available at the right time, right at the beginning of the year when like people are looking for new stuff, you know. <laughs> I watched uh, the new Batman joint, new animated joint, uh, Batman, what is it? Oh, something of the dragon. I forget the title of the movie, but basically it takes place in the 70s. Well, it, it flashes back to the 70s because Batman, Bruce Wayne, part of his training besides the League of Shadows is he joined up with this group of like like five people, which their, their master is, is, is voiced by James Hong. And Kelly Hugh is is one of the voices, and uh, Michael J. White is uh, your Jim Kelly of this group. It's basically if Batman met Bruce Lee and they kicked all kinds <laughs> of ass. And it, once again, DC animated knocks it out of the park with the the fight the fight choreography in this movie for an animated film. A lot of care went into it, and you gotta love that. So I um, same thing with if you ever seen, and it sounds really stupid. In the title of Batman, I think, versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if you ever watched that one. The fight choreography in that is amazing, too, especially when Batman fights the Shredder twice. It's just it's just spectacular to watch for an animated film. Um, it's not Kung Fu Panda, y'all, although I, I will be the one to say the fight choreography, at least in the first two Kung Fu Panda films, uh, although it's a fat 
panda bear, Jack Black doing the fighting and the other animals doing the fighting. Uh, a lot of care went into that, too. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, but this is really good. Nice throwback. Uh, ama- amazing to watch. I-, I-, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Michael J. White is a bronze tiger. If you know who that is, uh, it's-, it's pretty it's a pretty banging character. Um, I watched Action USA, which is something I didn't know existed until like, when it came. I think Vinegar Syndrome put the Blu-ray out. Uh, this is a film, which I can't tell you the plot to. Some some guy owes some guy money, and then it just turns into squibs and fucking punching. I I, I say punching, getting excited about punching women, but they just blatantly punch this woman in the face in, in the nose in like the first two minutes of this movie, and you're like, yeah, that just happened. And then you get like car chases and Dukes of Hazard type jumps and explosions. And if you like action movies and you don't care about the plot but you want to watch a lot of stuff blow up, I think uh, Action USA. Which is the lost film um, that that they found? I, I've seen them literally pull film out of the dumpster. Got guys like Synapse and, and, and Vinegar Syndrome. Like here's a video of stuff we found in a dumpster. It's it's like the original print of this movie, and you know they they put they they clean it up, they put it out, and actually the USA is a film that stars William Smith and Cameron Mitchell. So if you can't get behind that, uh, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> you guys should check it out. It's it's wild. <laughs> Um, so, something else I watched. Oh, I watched Pandemonium, which if you don't know what that is, that's a, a horror spoof from 1982. I, I did a guest spot on the projection booth. Uh, finally, uh, I was supposed to be on it two other times. It just didn't pan out. But, um, this is a film that stars, uh, Jimmy Olsen for the Superman movies and Carol Kane and Tab Hunter and a, a lot of random people in this movie that you recognize basically takes place at a, at a cheerleading camp that's been... It's a Friday the 13th thing where, hey, uh, every time you try to, open, try to open this cheerleading camp, all the cheerleaders get killed. And, you know, they, keep, they, they, get, they couldn't call it Friday the 13th, so they call it Pandemonium. It's supposed to be called Thursday the 12th, but there's a story behind that. But it has a bunch of wacky, stupid people, a bunch of wacky, stupid kills, including a, a shish kebab scene involving a javelin, which is hilarious. That is fucking hilarious. Let's put it this way. It takes place after the chili distribute to vegetables. And that's all I'm going to say if you haven't seen Pandemonium. (laughs) 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 They get skewered with the vegetables and it's hilarious, okay? Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, it's got a young judge. Probably Judge Reinhold's first thing, I think, besides Stripes. He he has a role in that movie. He's got, like, like bleach blonde hair. And he plays a really, like, milquetoast dumb dude in the movie. And it's hilarious. Um, not great because it's a lot of, it's a lot of like, it's, it's great because the jokes still land. Let's put it that way. It's, it's got like a lot of like what people consider like dad jokes in it. Oh, I, I forget Tom, Tom, Tommy Smothers and, and Paul Rubens are in it as well. It's got a big cast. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, it's like 80 minutes long. Uh, check out Pandemonium. It's a lot of fun. Um, besides that, I've been checking out the Peacock app too. I don't, I don't want to fucking... You know, go go peacock crazy, but I I watched the first season of Sliders in like a day, and that's on there. So, oh, I'm I all, love Sliders. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sorry. I I kind of like. I remember fading out on it because like they went like I think the, what the first two or three seasons it was like the original cast maybe, and then slowly people start getting replaced on it. So there was one point that I kind of faded on the show, but I remember like those first few seasons were solid as hell. 
I want to say at the end, the ones that were left were uh, <clears throat> Wade and Rembrandt. I think were left at the end because I know um, Chris um, Chris O'Donnell, uh, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, <laughs> they did the thing where his brother came on the show because he was his brother in an alternate world. Yeah, yeah. And then I think they were together for some episodes, but eventually Quinn left somehow, and then the professor dies eventually on the show. I forget when that happens, but yeah, there's, there's a point where they, they start splitting off and uh, Kari Wurr shows up to do stuff and that that's fine because she's, she's still fine. And um, yeah, it's it just kind of, kind of broken up. I couldn't tell you what happens in the last couple seasons because like you, Mike, I, I just kind of fell out. But I'm looking forward to diving into uh, to, to see to see what I possibly missed. I don't know if I missed anything, but um. It's it's always fun to see you know the crying man you know doing his thing and got to see that the the episode where he he's like Elvis on the world but he's supposedly dead but he's back the king is back singing tears <laughs> singing tears in my fro I love it so much you know <laughs> um besides that I I really can't tell you what else I watched besides those things um there was something else and I really should look at my letterbox but I'm not going to you right now. But um, let's uh let, let's kick it right here and um yeah that, that's that's over with. We're gonna go right to the movies because I think these are gonna be some fun ones to talk about because yeah it, it's it's a good thing. Now one of these I did a long time ago. So if you're a true blue you know old OG uh, Cinder Beef listener, it was an episode that I lost with with um my friend for I, th- I my friend Chris X Chris is Chris X from um. Mexico City. He was on Terror Troop with uh, with me, and I uh, did the show with him. We did Leon the Professional on the old B format, and we're doing that tonight. Uh, with of course the great Jean Renault and a very young Natalie Portman, and, and of course Gary Oldman, um, with uh, the Charlie Bronson, Jan Michael Vincent uh, vehicle, the the mechanic from 1972, with the theme in mind of uh, uh, assassins and training. We'll get into the. We'll go chronologically with this one, and we'll do the mechanic first, and we'll get right into that right after this trailer. Yes. Mr. Bishop, we would like you to go ahead. There are a thousand ways to kill a man, and one assassin knows them all. Murder is only killing without a license, and everybody kills. But when the best in the business... There are times when I could use a backup. ...takes on a partner... I'm going to teach you all I can. The last hit of his life... Play to win, do you? I'm going to pick my own mark. ...could be his own. The Mechanic is a non-stop thrill ride. Charles Bronson. Jan Michael Vincent. How long till she goes? Just about now. The Mechanic from 1972, uh, directed by the great Michael Winner, who's done multiple Charles Bronson films. Stars, stars Charles Bronson and J. Michael Vincent and Keenan Wynn and Jill Ireland and an assortment of other people that I'm not going to get into. But your cheapo plot synopsis of this film is... An aging hitman befriends a young man who wants to be a professional killer. There's more to it than that. Eventually, it becomes clear that someone has betrayed them. 
it might be him. I won't tell you right now. Spoiler spoiler alert, though, people. Chuck Bronson is a is an assassin in this film, and he kills J. Michael Vincent's father. He's tasked to kill him, and some big surprise happens. He is not really surprised, but um, I know Suzanne loves Chuck Bronson and J. Michael Vincent. I never asked Mike's opinion on it, so I'll kick it to Mike first and ask him what he thought of the mechanic. The mechanic is a classic. I mean, if you're into these type of movies, yeah, I mean, the first thing that people are going to probably think of when you describe this movie is like, oh, it's like another Death Wish. Sort of, but kind of different. I mean, it's Charles Bronson doing his thing, which is always a treat. I mean, he just kind of has that presence. I mean, when the movie starts up and you just kind of get the immediate shot of him, as soon as he comes on screen, it's like, all right, here, here we go. Uh, that opening kill where he shoots the bullet from across the way, blows up the building. Just what a way to start a movie. Um, I love kind of like the, the fact that, you know, as uh, Charles Bronson's character, is uh arthur bishop in this as he's kind of taking on um his i guess you could say apprentice sort of in a way you're kind of going through the movie a hundred percent like or not a hundred percent but kind of wondering like is uh is this going to come back to get mr bishop and you know we get lots of cool sequences the shootout sequence at the end oh my god amazing and in the end, is kind of going out in a blaze of glory. <laughs> Lots of dead people at the end of the movie as the credits roll, and kind of a just ending. And uh, you know, you can you can uh, take Bronson down, but he'll still have something waiting for you at the end. So uh, I love the mechanic; it's it's great. I I've seen it before, obviously, and uh, I'll probably see it again because what a movie. I think you made Suzanne a little wet downstairs, a little moist, perhaps. You mentioned Blaze of Glory, and that makes me think about Bon Jovi and how much she loves him so, so much. In the <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Mr. K, Mr. Abel, Mr. Catch me if you can. Come on, girl, you know. Young I, Guns, I, I love, too, girl. Come on, now. <laughs> oh, I know. I love Young Guns and Young Guns, too. Hate Bon Jovi with a passion, but you know that, so you always fuck with me. Yeah, him and Brian Adams are all-time favorites. I know this. You don't got a lot of people. <laughs> oh, one of the musical guests that was on Saturday Night Live was Brian Adams. Guess who I didn't get to see? Brian Adams, even was though this, I didn't want to see Brian Adams. Was this like summer of 69, Brian Adams, or like waking up the neighborhood? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brian oh, Adams. yeah. I, I randomly picked a season. It was like 1985. So, yeah, that was right in the summer of 69. That really made no sense, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You got his first real six string. He bought it the five and dime, right? That's how the song goes, you know? Yeah, but he played it till his fingers bled. Man, I hate is, myself so much right now. That has to hurt, man, when you play it till your fingers bleed like that. It, uh, I told you it was be fun tonight, guys. I'm fucking with Suzanne. But I said, <laughs> go, go for it, girl. I, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, you know? Yeah, I've, this is one of those movies. I've, I've, i got to get a little nostalgic for a minute. I remember... I was like a little kid and I was curled up with my parents while they were watching the mechanic. And then anytime something violent happened, I remember it was my mom or my dad would cover my face. But, you know, hey, I knew how to manipulate those blankets so I could peek around and see what was going on. Yeah, this movie, holy shit, it's classic. 
I agree with everything Mike said. The first 15 minutes, I don't think there's a word spoken. And you can see just how meticulous Mr. Bishop is when he's setting up a hit. I mean, just detail, detail, detail. And it's when that scene is finally over after seeing everything he'd done, making sure everything was in place, firing that shot and then just uh, casually picking up and leaving. No harm, no foul. And random thing I read while I was watching this is uh, that was the hotel that they used for the cover of uh, Morrison Hotel for the Doors. Stupid, random, useless information. I've always been fond of this movie, and this was, I'm, I'm sorry, Jan Michael Vincent at his absolute hottest. It's, it, it's, it, there's so many things about this movie you can't help if you like them. Things like this to love. I like the relationship that he starts developing with Dude's Kid and taking him under his wing, showing him the ropes and, you know, kind of realizing he's aging and maybe he does need a little extra help from time to time. But it just seems like the, the everything that transpires in the movie was all, it, it was destined to happen in a certain way. Just the two of them, him being admonished for bringing on an apprentice without seeking approval. But everything seems to be okay. It's and then they get to go travel to Italy to carry out this hit. And you think that there's some kind of bond developing, even though I think what he knows that Bishop killed his dad. Not that he cared. He wanted his dad's money. He could give a shit if his dad was alive or dead. I don't really think there is any animosity between the two over that. Because, I mean, Jan Michael Vincent's character has got a coldness to him. These are just my random thoughts here. I, I think he was using everything as a means to his own end. I just don't think he imagined how things were going to shake out. It's a beautiful movie to watch. There's car chases. Everything is choreographed. The fights, the car chases. There's absolutely just not a minute of screen time wasted in this movie. It's just so much fun to watch. It's such a great movie. And it's always going to be way up there, in my opinion. That's pretty much my summation. So what you're saying is, Suzanne, that you think the film cuts like a knife and it feels so right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to choke on her beer. <laughs> <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> what about Big Wednesday, girl, man? Stupid sex <laughs> Gary Busey? Come on now, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> That's that's a surfing picture, by the way, if you know what that movie is. That stars, uh, you know, a very young William Cat, Gary Busey, and Jan Michael Vincent. So it, it, it's worth your time, I think. Yeah, yeah. this. The, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, I, I, no, never mind. Oh man, yeah, this film though, um, it's it's not your average your average, you know, Chuck Bronson shoot 'em up, yada yada yada. If you haven't seen this before, uh, you're expecting like heavy violence and. You know, people getting blown up with squibs and yada, yada, yada. You won't get in this movie because it's very calculated in this movie. He he, he gets the, the, the packet from his employer and he studies everything meticulously. I mean, he's not like he's got to plan everything out. Everything's very carefully planned. And I kind of like that this film is, is different in that way. Um, I have to mention that the writer 
Louis John Carlino uh, wrote this. He also wrote, uh, I think, an underrated film, The Great Santini, starring Robert Duvall. Uh, and he also wrote the, 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 the remake that's worth your time and the sequel to the remake that's worth your time because the cast are bangers in those movies. And I think uh, you guys should check them out if you haven't yet. Uh, you too, Suzanne. I think you should check them out. <laughs> I grumbled at you. I know you. I know how you feel, and I'm not even saying this sarcastically. It, it, they're good, but um, yeah, yeah. This movie, I, I, you really feel the, the relationship between Jan Michael Vincent and, and Charles Bronson. It, you know, in a way, you would never guess the ending that you got unless you knew, unless you knew the hook to to the movie. If somebody told you what was going to happen, you'd never guess what was going to happen next. But uh, basically, he's 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 forced to betray a friend, and uh. You could tell that he doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it because that's that's the the job he's assigned to. And there's this whole web of like assassins and like I guess like a like a code, if you will, that if you do something wrong, but she does something wrong by taking the kid under his wing. In the eyes of of these this this tight knit group that they have, this was the wrong thing to do, you know. Which leads you to your your epic third act of this movie, which I think is really wonderful because you get lots of like real car stunts and explosions and, you know, again, more tedious planning by, by one Chuck Bronson in this movie. You see, you don't get that. You don't get that in a lot of movies. It's usually him being reckless, but this is, this is a lot more of a subdued Charles Bronson, not just killing people for the hell of it. He, he's killing with a purpose and very carefully and very, very calculated. I, I, you don't get that in a lot of Charles Bronson movies, just him. Bang, bang, bang. It's it's very it's not action USA bang 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 but not not many things are um yeah shot incredibly well um like Suzanne said you know the first fifteen minutes I love films like this where there's no dialogue you just kind of get to know the character you kind of get a little bit in the next movie a little, a little towards the beginning you don't really get dialogue for like the first few minutes and then they they talk once once Leon shows up of course um. But yeah, I really like the first 15 minutes of this film. Uh, the score, um, which I have to look for real fast, uh, was done was done by one of Michael Winter's uh, normal go-to guys who did the score for the Bad News Bears. He did the score for, for a few other things that he's done. Jerry Fielding uh, did the music, and it's not it's not um, Carmen, but it's it's very uh, explain it. It fits the film so well, though, and but by the way, Brian Adams, uh, where are we at here? <laughs> yeah. Kingston, Ontario native in case Suzanne wanted to know or something. I'm just throwing it out there again. <laughs> More Brian Adams reference. So whenever I feel flustered, I'll just, I'll just say a Brian Adams fact. And, uh, <laughs> just to keep the conversation going, you know, because I know she loves it so, so much. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fun fact of the film. Um, the Keenan Wynn role was supposed to be Cliff, uh, Cliff Robertson and um, Jan Michael Vincent's role was supposed to be Jeff Bridges, and I think I would have took it either way because they're both they're all they're all good. And um, one other thing I had to mention the producer of this film, and, and I'm sure this might even been on the, the the thing from the guys who brought you Rocky, Erwin uh, Winkler, Erwin Winkler and Robert Chardoff brought you Rocky and some other good stuff too. It's just uh. Yeah, uh, great, great European settings. 
you know, great, great locations all around this film. And all this makes for a great film. And I, again, I, I implore you, I implore Suzanne to go watch those mechanic reduxes because they're, they're a lot of fun. But yeah, the, these two guys work together. Like I said, if you never, if you never had somebody spoil it for you, I, uh, you, you would never see the ending coming. Unless you saw the the the, the Jason Statham Ben Foster version of this movie, and even then you wouldn't have guessed that was going to happen. So it works great because it has the same writer on, on both ends. So I won't give away that spoiler. What happens at the end of this movie? So great great chemistry though. I'm I'm going to leave my uh, schmeal at that, and I'm going to kick it to Mike and ask him anything else to say about the film. What does he give it one to ten? Um, I would you know I would just repeat the fact that if you're a fan of Bronson and what he has to offer in general and somehow you miss this one through the years, look it up immediately and watch it. Cause I actually think this is one of his better movies, just not suggesting, you know, any of the other ones aren't good, but I just think the mechanic from start to finish, I think it's paced really well. I just think, you know, once it gets going, there's not really much downtime, uh, Bronson is, I mean, you can watch him on screen just having conversations, you know? Um, <laughs> and then he gets to the killing, and the killing's always fun. Uh, what would I rank? Man, I, I shoot. I I think I'm going to have to go 10 out of 10 with this one, because I don't see many flaws in this. I mean, unless you're just totally against the action crime thriller genre, I don't then see why. Then you should hang yourself. Yeah, then you shouldn't yeah. be watching it in the first place. But I think this movie delivers on everything you would want to see in this genre. And the rewatchability is great. So I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. Suzanne? Yeah, there's this movie, just from beginning to end, like I said, there's just not a single frame of film wasted on anything. And... I will put this, I would have to say, in my opinion, that this is probably Bronson's best work just because it's it, it's it's a cut above. It's it's a little bit more he's more subdued. It's a little bit more intellectual. It's a little it, it's it just seems to be elevated a little bit more than the other. ones. It's the whole movie is calculated. There's a pacing. It's. There, I really, I kind of have to go with Mike. I, there's, I can't even think of a flaw in this movie. I mean, the the motorcycle chase was just brilliant. There, there's nothing in this movie that isn't. Everything is set to go the way it should. So I'm gonna have to stand it a ten out of ten as well. It's there. It's it's perfection. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I gotta say, like, like I said, it's, it's not like any other Bronson film. Well, not many more Bronson films that you've seen. There's other, there's other ones where he's a lot more subdued too, and um, not, not violent at all, really. I mean, look at Hard Times. If you haven't seen that film, that's a film where he plays a bare knuckle boxer that's being uh, be, being hustled by by James Coburn, and that's a wonderful film. And um, it, it's it's great. Uh, it's a very little flaws, great locations. Great. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a fun movie. I mean, if you're if you're looking for, you know, go go blow him up, you know, shoot him shooting everybody all, all the time. This isn't the Bronson film for you, but this is his. This is one of the best in the bunch. I'd say top three that that I've seen. It's if I had to pick a realistic choice. But yeah, that, that ten is justified. I think it's it's damn near perfect. 
and um, it's 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 fun. And um, go go watch those Reduxes, Suzanne. They're they're good. I I enjoy them. And uh, I w- I wouldn't steer you wrong in that direction. Okay. Oh, I know you wouldn't. I will eventually. I will tell Pat. He will be excited as hell to watch both of them. Mm. But yeah, that's that's it for this one, and we're gonna move on to our next selection, which is Leon Leon, the professional from 1994. Right through this trailer. Let's talk business. This guy comes to town every Tuesday. Are you free Tuesday? Yeah, I'm free Tuesday. You can't stop what you can't see. This guy came from the outside. It was a pro. It was fast. In the art of the kill, Leon was the master. Somebody's coming up. Somebody's serious. He never missed a hit. He never got caught. You're indestructible. Bullets slide off you. You play with them. And above all else, he never had a reason to care. Until now. I like these calm little moments before the storm. My family was shot down by DEA officers. Three kids here. One of them is missing. Find her. He's over the door. Please. From the director of La Femme Nikita. If you don't help me, I'll die tonight. I can feel it. An innocent girl with no one else to turn to. What exactly do you do for a living? Cleaner. You mean you're a hitman? Cool. A perfect assassin. I need you to help me, Leon. I want to get those dirtbags who killed my brother. With someone to finally believe in. Change ankle. Remember that, Leon. I will. They're about to come face to face with the cop who's crossed the line. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Professional from 1994. I sound like I got a Creole right there. See, I didn't mean to do that, but it is what it is. Uh, it's a French film written, directed by Luc Besson. Uh, welcome back to the show, sir. Uh, stars Jean Reno as, as Leon, uh, Gary Oldman as uh, our crooked cop Stansfield, Natalie Portman as the young girl Matilda, Danny Aiello as Tony. I guess you would call him Leon's like keeper in a way. What we're gonna do. Yes, Handler, yeah. Uh, Michael Bataluco from, from uh, I know, for The Practice. He plays Matilda's father. Ellen Green, uh, Audrey One herself plays Matilda's And there's some other people in here that we'll get into later on. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this film uh, in, in so many ways. Uh, people talk about the, the, the pedophilia angle. I don't see it, but I'm sure we'll talk about that during the review. Suzanne, you first, girl. Um, What's uh, what's your take on Leon? Well, you know, I have to admit, I have not watched this movie in a number of years. It was 
God, it was a rental. And then I saw it in the bin at the video store and I bought it. And then I just I watched it a few more times. I probably this is probably haven't watched the movie in like 20 something years. Yes, I did that on purpose. Um, and there is so much going on in this movie. And when I rewatched it again, the opening scenes remind me of another movie called Gloria, if anyone is familiar with that one. Um, Gene Rowland uh, starred that movie, right? Yes. I think I know Not what it is. City remake. Yeah. And it's, God, this one is, it, this one is hard to actually, because there's, there are so many different factors in this movie. It's hard to try to put everything in some, you know, normal perspective. I guess I'm just going to go, you know, act one, two, and three. You know, act one, we, she knows what's going on. She sees them basically um, for her brother's dead body, which incredibly harsh to watch. I mean, it's, it's just that scene is so incredibly brutal. I don't mind seeing Ellen Green, who usually plays the perky, happy, you know, Audrey. She's always going to be Audrey to me, playing something quite a bit different from that. And yet you kind of want her to get whacked. And, you know, the dad is, like I said, you know what's going on. But Matilda is an, an interesting character. It's like she, they, there's, I, I, I get how some people can see, you know, maybe it's, I don't really, it's not really pedophilia because they, there are certain scenes in the movie where they, she tries to make herself so grown up and sexualized and he never looks at her like that. And that's, that's one of the points because I knew that was going to end up being brought up overall though. The movie is it is it pretty much is nonstop action with some very uncomfortable scenes with this, you know, 12 year old girl who is trying to hypersexualize herself because, you know, this man saved her life and she just tries to emulate him every step of the way. The end scene is. Yeah, because I'm I'm so glossing over so many points here. I'm gonna just try to keep it as brief as I possibly can. It's one of the best just gunfight in a short hallway I've ever seen. Well, it's way up there. Not the best, but it's it's damn good. I've always there's there's a little bit more going on to this movie than basically, you know, Hitman takes on young person. You know, there's a there there starts to become like a a family familiarity between Leon and Matilda, and it's they they just start seeming to be become each other's family because he has no one, she has no one, and after you get past that that creepiness, because it is it, it is kind of creepy, but it's not that people are trying to exploit her. She's trying to make herself much older and she can't. There's some cutesy scenes between her and Leon and we could talk about Gary Oldfield for days. You could literally do anything. I just, I cannot think I have seen Gary Oldman in some of the most bizarre fucking roles, but he can pull those off without a hitch. 
this is just this is an action movie. There's so many layers to it. You've got the relationship that he has with his handler, the relationship he has with this little girl and trying to basically still make a living because that's all he has. He doesn't have any job skills or anything. He's a hitman, straight up hitman. And Matilda wants to be just like him. It's got, I am being so incredibly vague. It's, it's not easy to talk about, but I mean, it's, it's just one of those movies. It's, it's got a little bit of everything in it and I'm just going to leave it there. I'm sure in some nation, I will come up with something else. Michael? Uh, just sleep? Oh, no, no, no. I just, <laughs> no, not at all. I was like, if you were done, I was like, the mic cuts off. All right. Yeah, I love this movie. I remember being a kid. I believe it was 1994 that it came out. And what originally interested me is, um, I don't know if they still do this because I don't, watch a lot of network tv anymore but you guys remember back in the day not so much trailers but they would have like the 30 second tv spots where throw a couple scenes of the movie with quotes with like a couple action shots and there usually be like a voice narrator well i remember seeing an ad for this movie come on and this was like right around the time the movie speed came out you know keanu reeves sandra bullock bomb on bus movie okay. and uh this tv spot comes on for the professional and the, th- the thing that like perked me up was like it, it said this will make speed look like a ride to grandmother's house and i was like <laughs> i was like what i was like all right and uh <laughs> so i ended up seeing it you know and man i i really really liked it and i think this is one of those movies where it it's going to satisfy different appetites. You get all the hitman action stuff. And believe me, there's times when they bring out some heavy artillery with what's going on. I love the story itself. I think it's, there's very touching elements to it that I didn't expect. Cause I didn't know a lot going into it the first time other than, you know, they show all this action stuff happening. Natalie Portman's debut as an actress. I mean, you know, child actors can be kind of, you know, 50-50 on their performances. I think she was really good. Um, on the subject of, like, the the borderline pedophilia stuff, I never took that from this movie because when I watch this movie, when I see the way it's written is Matilda is basically acting the way she is because that's what she thinks. That's, the, that's how, like, an adult woman through the eyes of what a 12 year old i i, I don't know i, I don't remember the, her character's actual age anywhere from like what 11 12 i think i think through the eyes of an 11 12 year old she thinks that's like okay that's how i should act to pretend you know to give off that like i'm an adult and like leon and all that he never goes for it obviously he, he makes her many awkward scenes you could say they like get close to the line, but I never felt that. I never felt like it was like a Lolita situation. If if everyone knows that reference to oh, that yeah. movie and that that general, uh, it never felt like that. Like he, she, it never felt like oh no, he's getting seduced. No, he never looked at it or her like that. Um, in fact, he always like for most of the movie, he was even reluctant to be doing what he was doing in the first place. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I like that it's a story of basically, you know, he he's obviously a loner because he's a hitman, so he's kind of dedicated to that life, and she becomes a loner because her whole damn family gets murdered. So it's it's more to me a movie about that two loners bonding over a mutual bad situation, and that's how the relationship forms, and that's what it's about. It's never about the other stuff. When she's kind of like mouthing off to like the I think it was like the hotel desk manager. She's like, oh, he's my lover. It's like, okay, people. She says it because she's like being a dumb kid in that moment. It's not, that's all there is to that. It's, it's nothing more than that. But um, yeah, I thought this movie was great. And I will say that anyone who's seen the American cut of the movie, but not the actual international uncut one, needs to watch that version. Because there is nearly a half hour or more movie there. And I actually think, like, a lot of times when you get director's cuts, it's like you might like this stuff in it, but it doesn't really make a difference to, like, the story. But I feel like what the scenes that get put back in really help further develop the story, really uh, help develop the bond between them. Um, they There's scenes with, like, him teaching her how to like do hitman jobs except they're using like a paintball gun instead um it there's like uh there's a montage of them doing it and then one thing is where she almost gets shot to death because one of their hitman trick gags goes wrong but uh yeah if you haven't seen it the actual international uncut version i highly highly recommend that because I like that even more than the American version, um, which is the one I grew up really liking, but I grew an even bigger appreciation when I saw like the full uncut movie. But, uh, you know, I, I'm starting to ramble here, but I, yeah, this is always maintained. Like every time I watch it, it's never, uh, gone down to me at all in rewatches. In fact, it's probably gone higher almost every time. Just, I think it's a very, well put together piece of cinema and um i like i said there's a lot going on in this movie for a lot of people that like a lot of different kind of movies uh should appreciate so i guess that'll be my opening thoughts on it well opening 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 yeah man <laughs> yeah yeah that 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 um that director's cut that it's called leon leon the professional uh is readily available now but i remember you know, back in the day, I only had a bootleg VHS that somebody ripped off a laser disc from some foreign disc or something for the longest time until, you know, finally it became available. Now, one of the hooks from that is, is that, 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 um, assassination montage scene, how Stansfield is taken out in the end because he mentions the ring trick, which if you don't know what the ring trick is, it's, it's kind of like the octopus in the Goonies. They mentioned the octopus at the end of the, uh, the end of the Goonies, but if you don't, if you haven't seen like that Disney Channel version of the movie, you wouldn't see that octopus scene in the movie because it doesn't exist within the theatrical cut of the movie. He he takes out Stansfield with with the with the grenades, which he mentions the ring trick, which is uh, the scene Mike mentioned of her almost getting blown away and then him basically blowing a giant hole in the the door with the, with a shotgun. The ring trick is then literally dropping a grenade within the door, and that's all it is. But it's mentioned. But if you don't watch that long version of the movie, the longer version of the movie, you you won't get it right away. It's just kind of there. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. I 
I think Matilda is a character is a character that's forced to grow up really fast. You know, because her, her family is killed. She doesn't really love any of them except her little brother. So the fact that she has nobody and she knows this guy down the hall, that she doesn't quite know what he does. He's just like this mysterious guy who just seems like a really nice dude that she talks to as he comes down the hall and stuff. And, you know, that's like her last ditch effort to go say, oh, I went to the store, my family got killed, and now where do I go now? I go see this guy at the end of the hall that I'm kind of friendly with. And when she finds out what he does, you know... She 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 makes that turn to say, well, now I want revenge for my little brother. You know, forget the rest of them. Which you know, the the introduction to Stansfield is Matilda's father was holding drugs for these dirty cops, and of course he he cuts them for himself and gets in trouble for it. You know, with a, his whole, whole dead family thing, they all they all get shot and killed, and uh, including an epic scene where mom's in the bathtub and she gets blown away by the shotgun. It's a uh, it's it's pretty brutal, and uh. <laughs> Um, yeah, their relationship, I, I never seen, I could see, you know, kind of like, how do I explain this without talking too gross? Like every little girl was in love with their daddy kind of thing, not in a sexual way, but in a way like admires them in a way that no other man could ever like take their place, you know? But since she never really had a father that she could, you know, care about, she, she cares for Leon and he kind of becomes a new dad in a way, but you know, she's, it's weirdly. It's weirdly sexual because she, like I said, she has to grow up really fast. And I don't know if she she is thinking this way. It's really weird to explain with the context of the film because they they make some choices that where I could see I could see the gripes, but you know at the same time with the context because there's little conversations in the film like there's a story there's a, there's a conversation that Matilda has with Leon about him not being able to love in a way. And Leon tells the story of this this girl. I think she was a diplomat or something, a diplomat's daughter or something. That they they weren't too happy with him dating her, and she gets shot and killed. Well, that was that was his start of, for, for being a cleaner because he got revenge for the woman, the only woman he ever loved. So in, in a way, he can't allow himself to be loved again because he lost that one true love, and that's like a really small thing, but it's not really a throwaway thing either because it explains a lot about his character. Who, you know, besides him getting down to business, which, you know, has, I love the opening scene of this movie of him just laying to waste and being so cool. But then you get this other side of him, which is like the child, he's like a child basically, when he's not going to, getting down to business. He's very meticulous about his daily thing. He puts the plant out, he, he, he makes sure he has his milk every day. He go, one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie is, it, the, the look Leon has when he's watching Gene Kelly doing his thing on screen is how I want to feel when I watch every movie. I'll tell you right now, because he's just having the best time. And he has that look of childlike glee. I mean, to, to a point to where he needs Tony, Danielle's character, to, to basically handle his money. Because he's to, to that point to where he, he's, he's, I don't know, because it's not really explained if he's flighty or not or why Tony takes care of him, but you could see, you could see in his actions and his reactions to things that he's not all the, all the way right upstairs as far as like being an adult is. So he needs somebody to care for him. And this could have been like some old stuff from the old country, you know, that, that he was set up to help him. But we, we, we don't know anything about that. We just know that Tony's kind of like his handler. And if and I love the scene at the end where, you know, cause Leon unfortunately gets killed with Stansfield. He gets blown up with Stansfield and, she goes to go meet him at the restaurant and 
you could tell that he's angry with her, and he because she wants she wants to be the cleaner now, and he's not having it. You know, he wants her to be be a child and go to school and and grow up grow grow up right. And but at the same time, you could tell he's going to take care of her. You know, because that that was Leon's request. But um, the characters in the film, besides those, I mean, Stansfield is this guy who's fucking high on fucking pills like all the time. There's that great scene where he's introduced, where he opens his little box of pills, and he's got his headphones on, and he just bites into that whatever he's taken, and he just tells, like, going straight to his bloodstream by the look on his face, and, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, a team of messed up, dirty cops. Oh yeah. You gotta love it. And they're all, like, quirky looking, too. Like, it's not just, like, you know, these uniformed or even street clothes looking cops, of course. It's, like, Gary Oldman, who's always a treasure on screen, and then hippie looking dreads, white guy. Uh, what's, what's, like, what's, like what's, what the hell is he the, doing there? The, the, the white Rasta in that group. I don't know, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I had no business being there, in my opinion, because he just did not. He just seemed like the odd fucking peg of the group. I just don't see him being a, a police like. Maybe he's his he's nephew remotely. or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, his mom fucked somebody to get him that job. He's that friend of a friend, you know, <laughs> to, to take a line from Jay and Saw Bob Strikes Back. His name yeah. fit the rhyme scheme. Come on now, like, you know. Hey, can you, Officer Oldman, can you do something to get my son out of the house? Sure, I'll take him on a ride along. <laughs> like, oh, he's got to change his clothes, though. I don't know about that. You know, I'm sure you see a lot in California, but... White guys with dreadlocks is one of my bugaboos, Mike, because it's one of those things where I, I can't do it. You know? Oh, God, I agree with you, though. <laughs> um, yeah, great stuff, you know, between, again, 12 years old in, in this film, or her first role, and the conversations that she has with with, with Jean Renault and, and Gary Oldman. There's a great scene where she is going to bust in the police station and just murder everybody, and she gets busted real fast because she's 12 years old. And she's inexperienced and the conversation he has with her about, you know, basically what, what's your problem with me? It's like, you killed my little brother. It's like, what do you want to join him? You know, it's like, wow, that's cold shit right there. Saying to a girl and her reaction to it is, is spot on and for, for this to be the first time out. I, I, I got to say that, you know, it's, it's something else for, for, for a child actor who sometimes they really work. I mean, I, I can name a few examples. I mean, Tatum O'Neill in, in Paper Moon is a great example. Um, I think she was like six or something when that movie was. No, she thing, was like still eight, or eight or nine, but still very snappy. I mean, yeah. and, um, going toe to toe with with Ryan O'Neill, her 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 dad, of course, um, who was a very learned actor at that point. But yeah, the, her back and forth with these characters and the the emotion you know you, you give and it, it's uh like I said, I can throw away the the weird the weird. You know, sexual stuff because you you can leave it a test to, to the character having to grow up too fast. Like I said, and you, she doesn't know anything about anything except what her old confused brain, you know, yeah, is going I, on I, there. It's it's childhood infatuation through the eyes of an eleven, twelve year old that's trying to do what she thinks an adult would do to get Leon. It's very it's awkward, but it's it almost it's supposed to be awkward, like. I don't know. I I just see it as like, you know, she's not like she's not like a teen vixen, you know, trying to seduce Leon. It's not that kind of thing. And I think that's what people mistake it for, because obviously, you know, any any type of relationship between them would be wrong. Like, that's not we're not saying that. But 
it's I, I don't know I, I find a distinction between this and movies where you know something even like a poison ivy type movie you know like where it's straight up a teenager trying to sleep with an adult like she she, she doesn't even know what the hell she's really doing um other than you know she has an infatuation and through her inexperience and being a kid she's just like trying to mimic what she thinks like an older person would do i, I so I'm not going to I'm not going to like um knock people for if they find it awkward. And I could definitely see on the first time watch cuz you're still kind of taking it in, but after multiple watches and you know time to think about it and really kind of analyze what's going on, I just I don't have the same problem with it that some people tend to do. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing is the fact that she is basically she's traumatized. She's trying to figure out how she's supposed to act. And there are times that she's, you know, thinking that, you know, she needs to, I don't want to say throw herself at him, but, you know, just genuinely show love, but she doesn't really quite know how that is. And it comes off more as awkward than it does uncomfortable just because of the age. And he reacts the right way, too. It's not like, you know, he reacts the way like, Oh, let me think about this. But no, he reacts the right way when she's saying yeah. these things to him. It's like you know what this this isn't happening. You know exactly. And there, and it's like there's no scenes of him like leering at her where he's trying to talk himself out of like doing it. Like there is yeah, none of no. that. This this isn't like you know. Uh, comes off more as asexual than he does anything else. He's pretty much his future is has already in his own head been pre decided. This is what he's gonna do. Yeah, and, the, great love, the great love of his life is now his plant. <laughs> yeah, much. and maybe milk too. His glass but it milk. also has kind of that childlike quality to it. Yeah, exactly. He has kind of like the childlike demeanor. And I mean, I don't think that he's you know mentally stunted in any way. No, I just no think way. That no. that after the love of his life was killed, he pretty much any part of his sexuality, he completely cut off. Yeah. He, I think he hasn't allowed himself to like, even entertain the idea of like loving someone in that way anymore. And not to mention, you know, being a hitman is no kind of life for relationships and family and all that either. So we learned that the mechanic, you know, we see somebody, you know, you love is when you get involved with somebody, you know, you can obviously be taken out right away. And I think uh, Leon's routine, you know, just his routine, uh, you know, of every day, you know, do, doing his sit-ups and, you know, putting the plant outside and drinking his milk <laughs> is, you know, it's, it's kind of like in odd couple situations, throw it upside down, but the, the inclusion of this little girl, you know, and it's just. Yes, change the way he does things. Change the way he changed a lot of things, which is it says that sense of confusion there, because this world is uh just just shifted just enough to make him you know question some things and yeah, yeah. Well, it changed his routine because mm-hmm. you can tell. I mean, he's you're right. Puts the plan outside, has a glass of milk, goes on, does certain things throughout the day. It's a routine, and this little girl knocking on his door completely trash that routine. Yeah. I mean, I, I forgot to mention, you know, how much role the city plays in this movie, which is a, again, a character itself. I mentioned this in a few films, but 
all the great New York locations in this film play a play a role in the film, and that that end is just tragic, man. I mean, even when you, even when Leon does escape, you know, from from the freaking rocket launchers and the machine guns, you know, because bring me everyone, 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 you know, that deal. They bring everything. They bring all the fucking guns, and the the the, the part where Leon busts out the wall where Matilda. Can, can climb out, but he can't fit in there. And she realizes that he can't fit in there. And that's, that, again, the acting from a 12 year old in this movie, it's just, it's, it's spectacular. And yeah, he does get out and he does die. But you, again, it just, it's, it's, uh, that, that there's so many great scenes like that in this movie, which just like it, it makes you very emotional and it still gets me. God, I don't know how many years was, how many years later now? It, it's gotta be almost, 20 some years later, 30 some years, 30 some, I don't know. I don't care. Not 30 years yet. 1994. Almost 30 years later. You know, and yeah. there's, he had quite a run, Luke Besson. I mean, he had this, and a, a couple of years later, he had The Fifth Element, which is a film that people love or hate. Oh, I love I, it. I, I think it's a masterpiece. You know, it has some, some parts in it that are, that are kind of there, but visually, it's amazing. We do, I did, I did Lucy on the show. Which is one of his later, later, later efforts with with um, Misty, and that's a film that gets better with every viewing to me. I, I don't know what it is. It's just there's so much stuff going on that you might have missed if you watched again. You might catch, and it don't make a whole lot of sense in the end. But it 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 is what it is. It's a big budget science fiction movie, and um, this film is 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 less is more, and I I think that. You know their relationship and the the the, the, uh, the location visuals and because again it's not really a film about you think oh, it's a film about assassins he's gonna kill all kinds of people it's like now everything you get that in like the opening of the film and then the end of the film but it's more of a film about this this guy who's who's forced into you know caring for somebody again and it's a big step for him and he doesn't quite know how to feel about that and he he goes he goes. You know, he he goes full full on to 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 be this not her father but her protector and do anything for her. and this coming from this guy who's just this cold not cold but like subdued you know killer who lost lost the one that he loved he never thought he'd find love again and he had had the conversation a couple times in the film and I think it's very important their their relationship it's not sexual it's just it's it's more like they're what each other needed at the time, and it it it, it meshed incredibly well. Um, I'll kick it to Mike and ask him anything else you'd like to say about the film, and what would you give it one out of ten? Uh, I would say watch the hell out of this movie over and over because <laughs> it's really a favorite of mine. It's maintained um, its its greatness through the years, and uh, like I said. If you've only seen the American cut of it, track down the international one. I, I was so glad. Like it's probably what late '90s, early 2000s when they finally released that version in the U.S. Now, by now, I'm sure there's multiple. Oh, it's it's readily available now. But back it. in the day, that was uh, that was your flea market purchase or your your Comic Con purchase on yeah. VHS. You know, <laughs> dude, back in the day, that was like one of my first prized possessions. Like. Getting receiving it in the mail, I was like, oh my god! And I didn't even really know because even back then it wasn't 
you could you could uh, look up on the internet because this is like pre YouTube internet, so you could look up websites that would like explain scenes that were cut out. But it's not like now where you can just go on YouTube and like literally watch all the deleted scenes. So when I got the movie, it was my first time actually being able to see what was cut out. And man, that was like Christmas in whatever, whatever day I, I received it. But, uh, I, I'm making it a two for today and giving it another 10 out of 10. I, I don't find any flaws in this movie. It's, it's always held up for me. The performances are great. Um, you know, you have your heavy hitter, cat, heavy hitters of a cast in here, but you're also like run into, you know, some characters you've seen or actors, actresses you've seen elsewhere in smaller roles. And um, this is a must watch uh, for me. So it's getting a 10. Beautiful. Suzanne. Yeah, that's that was the one thing I didn't bring up when I was talking about it is just the sprawling landscapes of New York really play a huge part and this was the first time i saw the director's cut but i maintained retained so much of the first one because for years that movie was burned into my brain and you never saw these little things that they did together while he was teaching her how to be a cleaner and i was so happy to finally see that and I knew what scenes were there and weren't there, even though I hadn't watched the movie in a long time. It, I, it, it holds up. There is not one thing about this movie that does not hold up. I, the relationship between the two, her trying to figure out her place in the universe, him actually trying to take on some responsibility of trying to care for this girl whose life he saved. And the the relationships between the two, it's 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 so well put together. It's so well written. The the cast is I'm not a huge Natalie Portman fan. This is probably my favorite thing that she has ever done. And she was 12. So, yeah, I'm pretty much I I, I think I'm I have to stick with Mike on this one. I, I can't think of a single thing wrong with this movie. It's it's perfection and even the 30 minute longer director's cut it adds yet another layer to the movie it's so well worth it so yeah i'm i'm gonna stick with a 10 on this one as well no oh, man yeah it's it's i mean if you want to watch a film about natalie portman being you know pursuing a man as a young lady uh watch beautiful girls where she tried to bang timothy hutton in that movie and that film's uh, toxic masculinity at its finest. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't recommend why. I don't like it very much. It's got great actors in it, but there's that weird thing that Timothy Hutton wants to fuck like a 14-year-old Natalie Portman in that movie. And it's like, yeah. See, in that movie, it's direct because he's infatuated with her. Leon is not infatuated with Matilda at all besides the fact that she becomes his, reluctantly becomes his, his, uh, his companion. Not by design, not by anything. It's just something that happens and he makes a decision. So if you're one of those people that thinks that Leon wants to have sex with Matilda in this movie, I think you're watching the movie for the wrong reasons. You know? Oh, gosh. But uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's damn near, it's, it's perfect. And I, I gotta say, out of all Luke Besson's movies, that this film is the best out of all of them. And 
that's because of it, it's perfect and it's just, and, and its simplicity and its its scenery and its performances. It, it is ten out of ten for me as well. And um, I'm gonna leave it at that. If you haven't seen it before, go 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 fix that problem because uh, it's it's pretty great. Um, yeah, that's it for this one. And we're gonna come on back and close out the show. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about Giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I'm Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon-exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? <laughs> we got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. This is Bo from LegionPodcasts.com. Hey, it's been a crazy time, and when the world gets nuts, we're happy to offer some old-fashioned podcast entertainment. But for some folks, getting a laugh out of a show isn't really helping these days. People who depend on tips in their bartending jobs or have been put on furlough with no pay till the worst of this coronavirus threat has passed. That's a tough spot. That's why we set up a GoFundMe for members of our community, a sort of grand scale take a penny, leave a penny. For people like myself, for whom the recent disruptions haven't kicked us out of work, well, we can drop a few of those extra pennies in the GoFundMe jar. For those who are directly affected by recent events, and find themselves looking for money to pay the electric bill or keep the water on, well, how about you give me a shout at bo, B-O, at legionpodcasts.com. Let me know the situation and what you need, and we'll do our best to make life a little easier. And you can find links to the GoFundMe on the front page of legionpodcasts.com, on our Facebook group page, or on Twitter, at legionpodcasts, where it's the pinned tweet. For those of you who are able, thanks in advance for chipping in. And members of our community who need a hand, hey, here we are. Remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and we're all going to get through this together. Legion isn't just a name, it's who we are. Thanks for listening to all the shows here on Legion Podcasts, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, folks, that was the show. We've been away for a while. I think that uh, I've had a great time tonight. I am in a good mood. And I think it really showed out the show and uh, and in my companions here as well. So thank you, Michael, for for coming on uh, to be a guest. To you, you know, you're welcome. Whenever we don't have like six people on here, which uh, the way I'm gonna do things, I think that I'm gonna try to get a guest every week just in case somebody falls out, so we can still have a show. No pressure on my host then, and we'll see how it goes. But Michael, uh, you got some stuff going on. Tell the folks what you got coming, sir. All right, Fresh Cuts is the show where we talk about 
about new releases as current and new as possible. Of course, with theaters still closed around much of the country, it's been mostly VOD, but you know, some stuff, uh, some theatrical stuff they concede and release on VOD. Recently, we did 10 Minutes to Midnight, the vampire movie. Um, somewhat vampire craziness movie. And uh, next we have The Queen of Black Magic, which is now on Shudder. And then the main show, No More Room in Hell. Gary, you've been a part of that one in the past as a guest. Uh, that's just kind of like the show we pick. We rotate who picks the movies. That's kind of like your all-encompassing news topics in the genre and then movie discussions for that. Also, Burning for Springwood, which I do with these two here, Gary and Suzanne. And what else? Um, Theme Warriors might actually be coming back starting in February. So we're working on that. So look for all those if you have not already heard and listened to them. Cool. Suzanne? Uh, You can always find me on the NFW podcast where I am being tortured to death with remakes. So if you really want to see my life spared, please text Nudie and tell him to stop. And you can find us there. We recently did uh, the Fog remake, which if you listen to the beginning of the show, you will get an hour and 40 minutes of me complaining constantly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. I'm not kidding. If you want to hear me complain for an hour and 40 minutes solid, this is your movie. And this week we did, oh my God, what the hell did we do this week? The Wolfman. Oh, we did The Wolfman, which was an unusual choice. So yeah, keep your eye out for those or do yourself a favor, don't. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. Do it. We're on the Dark Discussions Network. Look for us there. Cool. Yeah, this show and the show Mike mentioned and two Jigman of Commentaries can all be found on Legion Podcast Network. Uh, We're still built them out i hope to build up more very very soon and uh i think i'm good in my head right now which is always a plus um yay yay mental health is amazing yes ma'am but yes. um <laughs> hopefully next time uh you will hear an iris or a jamie as well but on the next episode you will hear uh so far uh, i don't know i'll announce it here uh a guy who's been in podcasting for a very long time. I do him from, from the Terror Troop days. Um, he was a friend of that show. Uh, Gregor Mortis from the Land of the Creeps is going to join us for a show simply about George Kennedy on a boat. Uh, we're going to do Death Ship, which is uh, a typical ghost story uh, on a boat or people getting murdered, like a slasher type type thing. And the most unusual film about a cat ever, ever committed to screen, uh, The Uninvited from 1988. That's all I'll say. It's the most unusual story about a cat you ever existed, and uh, uh, it might it might be explosive. This episode is all I'll say about that one. Uh, I can't I'm, wait. I can't wait either. I love George Kennedy. I watched Demon Warp a couple weeks ago. It is just a dumb fucking movie about a space Bigfoot that I've ever seen in my life, but it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I I think I spent many many nights when I couldn't find anything to watch and I couldn't sleep. I popped in the Iger Sanction. Put me to sleep like a baby. Ah, nice. But yeah, that's about all I got going on right now. And um, we hope to see you guys all next time. We say, I say see all the time, but you're, you're, this, this is an audio podcast. I realize I sound like a fucking moron. But um, yeah, this has been the Yerson and Beef Podcast, where if you've got beef, we've got the grinder.
Talk to you next time. Good night. Peace.